Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome in What's Right with Nick Wright, episode 143. Our first episode where the NBA playoffs this season have got going. It has already been an unbelievable three days. We are going to be lighting a damn beam shortly. The Lakers are going to win a title. The Warriors might be cooked forever. The East is wide open. It's just been a brilliant, First few days of the NBA playoffs couldn't be more exciting, couldn't be better. We also have a new highest paid player in the NFL. We have WWE uh, style stomps. We have so much to get into. And at the end of today's show, we are going to talk about some real world stuff as there was a, a tragedy in my hometown while I was there uh, this past weekend. And it actually, to me, is a symptom of a far larger issue. So we will get into that at the end of the show. But before we do any of that, for people that have missed last few episodes and they're like, hey, where's the tall, goofy guy? That's Demonze. He's my typical co-host. He has moved to Los Angeles, sent some bizarre tweets, gone to a Dodger game, bought a car, got an apartment, started his office job at Fox. He will be back in a few months for the next few weeks. In his stead is his younger sister, Diora. Diora, you did your first show on a regular grading scale would have been a six and a half out of 10. On a first show grading scale, you get an eight and a half. Your second show was a solid 8 out of 10 on no curve. We're going to see if we can continue the upward trajectory today. Why not? I complimented you. No, 8 out of 10 on think... your second show ever was great. So Diora will be the one guiding the show shortly. But first, and don't forget, high energy, enunciate loud. Let's, let's do this. Let's do this. What's not on today's show, not on the show today, is Triple J. Jaron Jackson Jr. winning the Defensive Player of the Year. The Texans listening to offers for the number two pick. And Dan Snyder is selling the Commanders, which Matt Ford, I think, called the greatest day in his life as a Washington Commanders fan. Shout out to Matt Ford for being the only Washington Commanders fan I know. Good for him. Now, to the Matt Ford, by the way, is our fearless leader. Our fearless leader used to be a guy, what was his? 
Gabe, Gabe got something. I'm not sure. He doesn't really come around that often anymore. Theoretically, he's the boss, but Matt Ford has taken over for him. Succession style forced him out. All right, Diora, what are we doing to start the show today? Actually, I know what we're starting with today, but you go ahead and tell the audience. Okay, all right. Yeah. So let's start with the game from late last night. Yeah. Kings-Warriors. Yeah. In two great games, the Kings outplayed the Warriors down the struts and lit the beam. And in game two, Draymond showed how rattled Golden State was, getting ejected for a WWE-style stomp. Okay, first of all, great energy. Great job. Second of all, look at the beam. I look see, at the I beam see. that they're putting. This is why you should watch on YouTube for these added elements. All right, go ahead and ask the question. Will this young team be the be the one to end the Warriors old man dynasty? Okay. The answer is yes. And that's big picture. That's macro. Let's go micro. How is this happening? Why are the Kings up to nothing? Well, and this is where I'm sorry, but I've got to throw some shade if I may. Throw some not, shade. Oh, you didn't like me using that no, term? No, I wasn't All a right. fan. I got to throw a little shade at not. I think basketball podcasters actually do a really good job of watching the entire league. I don't know that many sports TV folks such as myself, I don't know how many of them were actually watching the Kings this year. I know I was, and I know that's why I picked the Kings to win the series. That's why I said the idea that playing the Kings in round one is some grand prize. Now, is it better than playing the Suns in round one? I did believe that. But the idea that the Kings were just going to be walked all over, you hadn't watched them. This offense is undeniably historically great. You then add to the fact that De'Aaron Fox this year was the most clutch player in the sport by a couple standard deviations, but massively leading the rest of the sport in clutch points, field goal, all of it. You then add to the fact that for this particular matchup, why is this matchup so bad for the Warriors? Well, a couple of reasons. One is, who coaches the Kings? Mike Brown. Where was he? Golden State. So what does he know? All the Warriors' tricks. What actions they're going to try to run. What, what their counters are going to be. You then add this fact. The Warriors were a historically awful road team. So... The idea that the Warriors were going to fall down 0-2, a lot of people could have seen that coming. Well, Nick, is it now going to be 2-2 after four games? Next, we're in Golden State. Maybe. However, the Kings this year, better on the road than at home because offense travels. The Kings this year, I know people always say defense travels, great offense travels everywhere. The Kings this year, the best road team in the entire Western Conference. So, why, why, if, if the Kings have all those things going for them, why were they just the three seed? Well, their defense was terrible. But what was terrible about their defense? Their rim protection. Guess what the Warriors don't do? Attack the basket. All those reasons, this is a terrible matchup for Golden State. 
The Kings can shoot with them. That's how they won game one. And they won game two by locking in defensively, forcing some tough shots. And then once again, both of these games were tied with a few minutes left. And in both of these games, the Kings out-executed Golden State down the stretch. So that's the big picture. Macro. Now we get smaller. Draymond yesterday. So Draymond can't help himself. And his explanation after the game did not help his cause. When he's like, well, what do you want? He didn't say it was an accident. I slipped. I was just trying to get, he said, what do you want me to do? They keep grabbing me. Which coming from Draymond is rich considering in game one, we saw him lay on DeMontis Sabonis to try to get the Warriors a fast break. The idea that because Sabonis was holding his ankle, you can stomp him like that is an absurdity. And Draymond might have cost them that game. He got a flagrant two and then was ejected. Do they win if he plays? I don't know. But they have a better chance if he plays because they don't trust Kaminga. They don't trust Poole. Looney was in foul trouble. So that then leads to some really good questions, long-term and short-term about Draymond. So go ahead, Diora. What do you think this means for his future? Well, he might be suspended for game three. I believe what he did is suspendable. I don't think, given his history, he can get any benefit of the doubt. And I know they might say, well, we threw him out of game two, so do we really need to suspend him? I think an intentional full-force stomp on a player's chest is a suspendable offense. So that's the short-term future. The long-term future is, and I said this two weeks ago, but nobody wanted to listen, and now, and I guess I should take this as a compliment, but I don't. When I say things on TV and on this podcast, and then a week, 10 days, two weeks later, I turn on the competing sports television network and I see what I said is their topic. But with like, hey, could this be Draymond's last series with the Warriors? Of course it could be. I think it will be. He has a player option after this year. I believe if he opts in, then obviously he's got another year with him. But I think he's going to opt out and ask for a new deal. And I do not think Golden State's going to give it to him. The year can't start with Draymond sucker punching a teammate and then come close to ending with him being thrown out of a playoff game for a cheap shot. And all throughout the middle, the team's mediocre because they can't win road games because they can't defend, because their emotional leader, Draymond, has lost his authority to lead because he sucker-punched a teammate, and he's not as effective defensively as he once was, and then say, yeah, that's a guy I want to give $100 million to into his mid to late 30s. Not going to happen. So the Warriors, as we know them, are, I believe, in their final days. Steph will be there. Clay will be there. Wiggins will be there. Pool, even if they don't want him there, is going to be there. But that core, Steph, Clay, Draymond, they went to six finals. They won four titles. 
I think they have about 10 days left together. And I think we're going to see the final game that they play together. It's going to happen in Northern California, either in uh, their arena or in the Kings arena here in the next 10, 12 days. And it's going to be one of the major storylines of the summer. You have one more follow-up I see in the rundown. Go ahead. Do you think the Kings are the Jags of the NBA? For me, it is a very interesting thing. They're not my favorite team, but I do actually respect them the way the rest of the media refuse to. Also, similarly, I picked the Jags, who were the home team in round one of the playoffs, the home underdog to beat the Chargers. They did that, I. but then I said their story was going to end because the next round they were playing my team, the Kansas City Chiefs. The Kings are the home team playing, but they're the underdogs playing the Warriors. I picked them, but the next round they're playing my team for the time being, the Lakers, and I will pick against them there. So there's a lot of, a lot of similarities. So yes or no? For me, kind of, the Kings have a beam, the Jags have a prince, and light the damn beam. Look at that beam, Diora. Look at it. And the beam we have in studio on television today is going to be glorious. I guess there are some similarities there as well. For the Jags, I brought in the trumpeters. For the Kings, we bought an industrial-sized beam. It's great. All right, all right, Diora, I almost messed up there. Let's go to the next topic and keep up this great energy. You are doing excellent. This is how you get a 9 out of 10. 9 out of 10. quiet. Took Demonze months to get a 9 out of 10. Next. Okay. So the Lakers star duo of Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura. Hachimura. (laughs) Okay, that's their star duo. I get it. Okay, go ahead. Looks incredible on Sunday. Yeah. And with the Grizzlies down three starters, could LeBron actually advance? Or are you... And are you already planning a parade? Because, you know, you're always on the LeBron side. Or do you realize that it's just game one? Well, it is just game one. But do I think that everything is coming up LeBron right now? Yeah. But do you always think think things are always coming up? No, not always. More often than not, yes. And more often than not, I'm correct. I mean, the guy went to eight straight finals, nine finals in 10 years, won four titles. Uh, in a nine-year stretch, he was pretty good. I mean, he's pretty good. You know, I, the when the years he didn't win the t- make the the one year he didn't make the finals, he got hurt. Uh, then two of those finals losses came against the greatest, you know, arguably, not arguably, inarguably, the greatest offensive team ever, the Warriors, when they added Kevin Durant. But let's talk. Let's talk about the here and now. This couldn't be breaking better for the Lakers. Oh gosh, just couldn't. No, it just couldn't be. The Suns, you're seeing their lack of depth and chemistry already. The Warriors, who a lot of people thought were scary, are down 0-2. The Kings, who I respect, but what did I say was the Kings' biggest issue? Rim defense, interior defense. The Lakers have Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And then you have the Grizzlies, who now John Morant looks like he broke a few fingers. He might be out for game two. The Lakers already. You think he'll only be out for game two? Uh, I'm not sure, but I think he will be out for game two, and we'll see if they try to do a wrap or whatever. But it's on his shooting hand. So even if he plays, he's going to be less effective. 
Uh, they were already down two of their bigs. And they just won a game getting a, by his standards, C, yeah, I'd call it a C-level game from LeBron James. The old LeBron feel-out game. Not going to do too much, try to get shots for other people, see what the defense is trying to do. When LeBron teams win game one of a series, they're 27-2 and two in those series. And they just won game one. And Ja might be out for game two. And they could not only steal home court, but they could go up 2-0 on the road on Memphis tomorrow. Yeah, And then I believe you're going to get a Kings team that is coming off, you know, the greatest moment in the franchise in 20-some years. Maybe a bit of an emotional letdown. It's a tough matchup for the Kings against the Lakers. Yeah, I'm right now I feel like the Lakers are the favorites in the West. And then out east. Or like your favorite in the east. In the west, you mean. But maybe. We're in the east, though. We are. Oh, I see what you mean. Yes, we are in the east. And then out east, Giannis is banged up. Harden, unfortunately, is looking like playoff Harden. Now the Celtics are looming. But I'll tell you right now, man, the idea of a Lakers-Celtics NBA Finals, oh, my goodness. Old rivals. Oh, my goodness. It'd be unbelievable. So, yeah, I do think everything's coming up, Lakers. Yeah, I'm planning the parade. And if they could make quick work of Memphis and get some rest going into round two, oh, my gosh. Every The whole league was put on notice by the fact that LeBron was in third gear that entire game and the Lakers won going away. That is a scary sign for everybody. All right, next. Okay. While the Kings were enjoying their first playoff win in 17 years, yeah. you did some digging. Steph had a chance in the final minute for the Warriors in game one, but missed again. Mm-hmm. Then had some bricks in game three. Game you, two. Yeah, that's not your fault. It says game three, but it should say game two. Oh, Go game ahead. two. You did some research to see just how bad Steph, Steph is in the clutch. What did you find? Well. So this is actually not really an indictment on Steph. Steph has not been great at the most clutch playoff shots in his career. But I was doing this research to see how Steph ranked. And then the same thing kept popping up. And so I think we can, you guys can throw on the screen whatever tweet, the first tweet of mine that you have, and we can discuss it. Because, so this, this was the first one. I wrote, after Saturday, Steph is now 3 of 13 on game-tying or go-ahead threes in the final middle playoff games. Here's the full list of guys who have taken 10 such shots. Uh, so this is, the, the data only goes back to 96, 97. And everyone who's taken, there's only 10 guys who have taken, again, the, the scenario here was three-pointers attempted to tie or take the lead in the final minute of playoff games. Ray Allen was 10 of 16, which is an absurdity. Damian Lillard's 5 of 10, which is great. And then you have Russ, who's 1 of 14, not surprising. Durant, 3 of 16. Steph, 3 of 13. But what jumped out to me was the late, great Kobe Bryant, who everyone who argues Kobe should be in the GOAT conversation, Kobe's better than LeBron. The number one thing they go to, is killer 
in the clutch. Who do you want taking a shot? And over the last 26 years, the only person worse at game-tying or go-ahead threes in the last minute of the playoff games than Kobe Bryant was Russell Westbrook. Kobe, three of 17. And that then brought me to my next tweet, which was, again, same time frame. Last 27 years, as far back as I have the data, all shots, not just threes, in the final minute of playoff games to tie or take the lead. Harden, worst of there's, there's 22 players that qualify. On our screen right now, it actually cuts off uh, the number one guy, which is Ray Allen. The only He's the only guy above 50%. He's at 52%. But let me go into this for a moment because James Harden, the worst, two of 17. That is tracks with what you remember. Russell Westbrook, second worst, three of 24. Again, this is playoff games. Tie or take the lead, final minute, all shots. And then the second best, 21 of 44, is LeBron. And the eighth worst, 12 of 44, is Kobe Bryant. Michael Jordan, and to be fair to Michael, this is his last couple of years of his career, is on there at 5 of 13. But that right there is a jarring stat that I put on television yesterday. And Kevin Wilds, I don't know if he was joking or not, said, I reject it. Which is, Kobe played 20 years. LeBron has played 20 years. The universally accepted narrative is Kobe was a fearless killer who always took the shot and was as good of a clutch player ever. LeBron, this is one of the universally accepted narrative. LeBron, this is one of his weaknesses. He looks to pass, he doesn't take those shots, and he's not good at them. Yet, they both have played, Kobe played 20, LeBron is in the midst of year 20. Amazingly, shots in playoff games, put that tweet back up if you would, please, and then we'll go to the next one. Shots in playoff games, to tie or take the lead in the final minute, they both took the exact same number, 44 in a 20-year career. Kobe made 12. That's 27%. LeBron made 21. That's 47%. Almost double. Second best percentage of anyone in basketball, only to Ray Allen. You seem really passionate when talking about your best friend. Okay. Well, no, I'm passionate when, listen, I, I do a sports talk show, and he's the greatest athlete of all time, so it does generate some passion. But I'm also passionate in debunking myths. So then, so again, exact same number of attempts in their career. Kobe was below average at them. LeBron, the second best of anyone. Go ahead. Go ahead. But it's weird how two of the most clutch shots of LeBron's career were made by Ray Allen and Kyrie Irving. Yeah, well, again, over the course of, and two of the most clutch shots of Michael Jordan's career were made by Steve Kerr and John Paxson. The producers right now are setting you up to fail because they are feeding you information to debate with me about something that is not going to work out well. It's the, not yes, win because I agree. You, we all know you'll I, always be on LeBron's Well, side. no, I agree. I've always thought it's unfair that LeBron's teammates are allowed to make shots. It would be much more fair for the rest of the league if it was like, hey, you're too good. Your teammates can't make shots. But then we get to the next thing, which is someone tweeted to me. 
Closing out a game is not just about the final minute. Same list for the final six minutes would be far more interesting. So I give you that, which is, again, the context is the final six minutes. Same thing, last 27 years. Everyone that's taken at least 60 shots in the final six minutes of a playoff game to tie or take the lead. Once again, not good for Steph. He's better only than Russ. He's 33%. Not good for Kobe. He was 38 of 115 for 33%. And great for LeBron. Second best of everyone only to Duncan. 59 of 143 for 41%. So final six minutes. Final half of the final quarter of playoff games. The entirety of both of their careers. Kobe took has taken 115 of those. LeBron's taken 140 of them. LeBron's made more, made a higher percentage. So then someone else tweets to me, now do five seconds or less. So I gave one minute. They're like, nah, that's too small. So give six minutes. And it still shows Kobe below average, LeBron best or second best. So then it says, all right, give me, now let's go the other way. Final five seconds. So I do, okay, everyone that's taken at least six shots in the final five seconds of a playoff game to tie or take the lead. And what we see is Steph is one for six. And by the way, again, on if you're watching on the show, it, they cut it off after LeBron. The top two are actually Chris Middleton and Reggie Miller. Reggie Miller was five of nine. Chris Middleton was three of six. But the numbers, Kobe, in these situations, final five seconds of playoff games to tie or take the lead. Took that shot 18 times. Made four of them. Amazingly, LeBron also took has taken that shot exactly 18 times. Made seven of them. It's a hard shot to make. Harden's one for seven. Russ is one for six. Steph's one for six. Durant hasn't even taken six of these. I'm sorry, no, that's wrong. Durant's two of 11, pardon me. But again, and this is where people just aren't able to process the facts. Five seconds. You're the only one who can process the facts. Well, I think if you go, if you go tell people it's inarguable that LeBron is the most clutch player of his generation and that he is one of the most clutch players ever, while Kobe was inefficient and not effective at these shots, people will, no one will believe you. And people say, oh, LeBron's scared to take him, takes the same amount as Kobe. No matter how you slice it, the same amount as more. Five seconds, one minute, six minutes. Fourth quarter playoff games, tie or take the lead. People just don't want to hear it. It is not what they want to remember. And that then does bring me briefly to we all, everyone watching this right now, saw the entirety of Kobe Bryant's career. Or almost everyone watching probably did. And yet I believe they probably have a hard time believing this data. Like, that's not what I remember. So let's extrapolate that. What does that mean for how we talk about Michael Jordan? When a lot of us, you know, weren't locked into the NBA in the 80s. We didn't have league pass. 
And Jordan's unbelievable. I, you know, obviously one of the three greatest players ever. You can make an argument for number two. You can make an argument for number one. But how much of the legend is what we want to remember rather than what actually happened? Because with Kobe clutch shots, it's a huge part of it. And with LeBron not being clutch, it's the entirety of it. All right, last topic. Go ahead. Okay, yesterday Jalen Hurts agreed to a five-year, $255 million deal. Yeah. This now makes him the highest paid player in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Two questions. How does someone without a ring or MVP deserve that kind of money? And how does this affect Lamar Jackson's negotiations? All right, I'll answer them in reverse order. Lamar, I think it would be smart for Lamar to go to the Ravens and say, I'll take that exact deal. That deal I'll take. I know he wants a fully guaranteed deal. I think that would be a smart deal to take. It, it, the, and the argument is, well, he's been to a Super Bowl. Lamar hasn't. Lamar's won an MVP. He hasn't. Lamar actually has finished his contract out, so he has a little more leverage. Jalen had a year left, so he has a little less leverage. That deal would be a great deal for Lamar. I don't know if he's going to do that. Joe Burrow's got to be thrilled. Burrow's going to get more than Jalen. They've both been to a Super Bowl. Joe Burrow's had two good years. Jalen's only had one. Justin Herbert's probably like, okay, I might not get quite that much, but I'm going to be at 50 probably. The other person or people who should be thrilled by this are Chiefs fans because the price of the brick is going up, as Marlo Stanfield would say, and Mahomes is stable at $45 million a year. So right now, Mahomes is the fifth highest paid quarterback in football. You don't think he should be the most paid? Well, of course he should be. But it's the, the in a salary cap sport where you only have so many dollars to spend, it's a huge advantage for the team that he isn't for the Chiefs' ability to win Super Bowls. And that's my point. He's the best player in the league by a mile. He's the fifth highest paid quarterback. Burrow's about to get a new deal. Herbert's about to get a new deal. Lamar might get a new deal. That means. When this season starts, Patrick Mahomes is going to be either the seventh or eighth highest paid quarterback. Right now, and this is a jarring fact, there is a bigger gap in annual salary between Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts than there is an annual salary between Patrick Mahomes and Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones makes $5 million a year less than Mahomes. Mahomes makes $6 million a year less than Hurts. Talk about planning parades. Playing the dynasty in Kansas City. You have the greatest player ever, and he's on a massive bargain. I fix the NBA's charge epidemic, and we talk Suns Clippers. That's next. Then we talk some real life in the C block. That's also coming up. What's right? Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. 
Welcome back in What's Right with Nick Wright, episode 143. Before we get into Suns Clippers and a game and a bunch of stuff, uh, some absolutely unbelievable news that just broke. Damar Hamlin, yes, that Damar Hamlin has been cleared for all football activities and is returning to the team today. So a young man whose heart stopped on the field was given CPR and resuscitated on the football field in late December. We are now in April, and he can resume his career. That is just fantastic news, an amazing story, and that is great. That is as cool as it gets. And you've got to be so happy for him, for his family, for the Bills, for everybody. And those trainers on the field saved his life. It's a really, really cool, wonderful story. So that's really, really great. Um, All right, Diora, let's get back to the NBA playoffs. Go right ahead. Okay, the Suns-Clippers game two is tonight. Yeah. Katie has now lost seven straight playoff games. You were at his last win. Really? Yeah, that's the last playoff that's game insane. he won. Yeah, which was Nets, Bucks, game five. He played all 48 minutes, scored 48 points and 17 rebounds, 10 assists. Steve Nash gave him a bear hug at the end of that. They went up 3-2. They then lost game six, lost game seven. Last year, they played the Celtics in round one. They lost 4-0, and then they lost this one. That's seven straight and nine of 10 playoff losses for him. But go ahead. In game one, Westbrook shot three of 19, but somehow was the Clippers' hero. Mm-hmm. Would KD losing in round one again with another super team be a legacy killer? All right. I don't think, I don't consider this quite a super team. And KD, no matter what he does, is one of the, at worst, 16 greatest players ever already. Okay. At worst. But going out in your the tail end of your prime, back-to-back years in round one, would not be good. Last year, he didn't play well in that series. It was his worst playoff series of his career. But you didn't really blame him, pardon me, um, overall, because Kyrie submarined that season with the VAC stuff. And then the Harden trade happened, and they just felt snake bitten. This year, the Nets were playing well. He demanded a trade. He gets to the exact team he wanted to get to, and they're playing a Clippers team that is without its second-best player. If he were to lose this series, that is devastating. All of a sudden, you start talking about at their peak, who would you rather have, Kawhi or KD? It would be an unbelievable turn in the Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, you know, saga. It, I do not believe the Suns can lose this series. I think it's almost impossible. I think that Russ, while he was brilliant aside from the three of 19 in game one, is not going to be able to duplicate that. And I do think that Durant's got to be more assertive offensively. He just has to. You can't play 45 minutes and take 15 shots. 
But I don't think the Clippers can beat the Suns four times in seven games. What I do think is this. That game showed you why I don't think this Suns team can win the title. Chris Paul is in a totally different phase of his career. I don't trust Aiton. And the Suns bench is non-existent. That their bench players played 53 minutes total. That's not a lot, by the way. 53 minutes off your bench in game one. In those 53 minutes, they were a combined three of 12 from the field, had like two assists. So you only have 240 minutes total to go around. 48-minute game, five players on the court at all times, five times 48 is 240. So 53 of your 240 minutes were taken up by guys who contributed nothing. That's not a recipe to win. Just not. Now, is it a recipe? Can they get through round one with it? Yeah. But Denver might be able to give them real trouble. And you bet your ass the Lakers, if they're healthy as deep as they are, can give them real trouble. So I... Yes, losing in round one would make the post-Warriors part of Kevin Durant's career bizarre. It would have been a year missed with an injury, then going up 2-0 and 3-2 on Milwaukee and losing that series, then swept in round one, then demanding a trade and losing in round one. It wouldn't kill his legacy. It obviously wouldn't help it but I don't think that's going to happen. All right, next. We sadly saw a lot of injuries over the first weekend of the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Both Giannis and Ja took hard falls after defenders were trying to draw Draw charges. Sabonis took a hit going for one last night against, against Steph too. It's time for Nick makes it right. Yeah. How would you fix this? You just got to ban weak side charges. It's very simple. You've been on the banning stuff lately. Yes, I have been, but I've been on banning weak side charges for five years. Guys, weak side charges were popularized by unathletic college basketball players as a way to try to even the score, essentially, with high-flying great athletes. They run over there and get beneath them. It's the most dangerous play in the sport. We, We changed the way you're allowed to close out shooters because Zaza put his foot beneath Kawhi. I'm not banning all charges. If you are guarding someone head up and he goes through your chest, that's a charge. If someone pushes off, that's a charge. But if someone beats their man and is rising up for a dunk or a layup and you're guarding someone else and you run over and get stationary just so you guys can, he can run into you while he's in the air and you're on the ground, it's an obviously dangerous play. Well, Nick, what would you have defenders do? Contest the shot. Meet him at the apex. Go up. Jump with him. Now, do we are we worried that that's tilting the scales too far towards the offense? Sure. Then maybe adjust a bit how much contact you allow in the defender's favor if they go up for a block. Maybe don't call. Maybe soften what is and what is not a foul if you're contesting a shot. But it is an obviously dangerous play that I feel like unathletic college basketball players made their careers on, and then it poisoned the NBA over the last 15 years. 
You can't have John Moran. Because this is, what Anthony Davis did was smart, but it's insane. Anthony Davis is 6'10", the best defender in the sport uh, some nights, right? John Morant is 6'3". John Morant goes up for a dunk. Anthony Davis can jump with him and try to block it. Instead, he stands there, so Job falls into him. Now Job's five feet off the ground falling straight down. And he did, and he broke his fingers, it looks like. Giannis, similar situation. He goes up. Someone cuts, undercuts him. He falls and bruises his tailbone. Don't incentivize that level of dangerous play. It's that simple. Ban the weak side charge. All right, what game are we playing? We're playing all in or fold. Yeah. So first one, Knicks fans were devastated to miss out on Donovan Mitchell, but Jalen Brunson has them looking primed to beat the Cavs in round one. All in or fold. The Knicks are better off with Brunson than Mitchell. I'm going to fold that. I still believe the Cavs are going to win the series. However, this is not an easy of of a fold as it was six months ago. Because Jalen has been exceptional. Now, Donovan's been actually even better as a Cav than he ever was as Utah Jazz. Donovan is still, I think, pretty clear cut the better of the two players. However, if Jalen Brunson continues on this upward trajectory, if the question is, would you rather have Jalen Brunson, who you signed in free agency and therefore didn't trade anything, any of your young players or your picks, or have Donovan Mitchell, but have traded away all of those assets That is becoming a real debate. If Jalen can give you 80% of what Donovan can give you, but you keep all those assets to then trade for a different star, that might work out well for the Knicks. So I don't think Jalen's as good of a player as Donovan. I don't think anybody does. But he's played well enough that it's close-ish enough, and those young players have developed most notably, DeMonze's former summer league teammate, Quentin Grimes. It's unbelievable. This kid that DeMonze played with for basketball university is two years younger than DeMonze. He's now one of the key contributors for the Knicks. Uh, Emmanuel quickly. RJ hasn't developed, obviously, the way you would have hoped. But still, that does become a real debate. And credit to the Knicks, who I probably have slightly underrated throughout the year. I, maybe I still am because I think they're going to lose to the Cavs. But as a great opening playoff win. Next. Okay, so we mentioned Giannis's back injury, yeah. but come on. Milwaukee is stacked without him. Mm-hmm. There's no excuse that they dropped game one to an eight seed at home. Mm-hmm. All in or fold, the Bucks win 4-1. I don't think they're going to win 4-1. I think they're going to win 4-2, so I'm going to fold on that. Listen, I, I respect Miami. I've been saying this. I was saying it all the end of the regular season when it looked like Miami was going to play Boston. Eric Spolster is the best coach in the NBA. Jimmy Butler is like the 24th best player in the league in the regular season and like the 11th best player in the league in the playoffs. He gets better in the playoffs. They're a real team. And Bam can present some problems for Giannis when he's healthy, let alone when he's coming off an injury. So I respect the Heat. The Heat went to the finals three years ago, 
They were the number one seed last year in game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. I respect them. But with Tyler Hero breaking his hand and some of the things they're going to have to deal with, they can't beat the Bucs. But they're a tough, tough round one matchup. All right, next. Okay, the 76ers are cruising. Mm-hmm. But James Harden only had eight points in 38 minutes Monday. Yeah. That's rough. Yeah, it's not great. So all in her fold, playoff Harden has returned. It doesn't look great. And this is my picks come out of the East, and Embiid's been spectacular in both of these games. And the way he read what the defense was doing last night and passed the open man and was great on – he was just great. And I know Harden's dealing with his Achilles, but this is a rough spot right now for Philly. And they don't need Harden to be MVP-level Harden. But in order to beat the Celtics, he's got to get right quickly and that is a legitimate concern right now. All right. I think that was like the first time we were less than a minute over. More than a minute. Oh, yeah. First time we were less than 10 minutes over, probably. Uh, that's because I deleted two of the questions. Remember, we were going to have two more. I knew we oh, weren't right. going to be able to hit it. Okay. Uh, so we're going to talk some real life stuff. There was a tragedy in my hometown. There was a tragedy in upstate New York. There was a miscarriage of justice happening right now in Texas, and they're all related, and we're going to talk about all of it, and if you don't want to hear that, join us on Thursday. If you do want to hear that, I think it'll be the best part of the podcast. We're going to do that next. Take a very quick break. Come right back. We'll try. With Factors, delicious, ready-to-eat meals you will be eating stress-free this spring. Each meal is chef-crafted, fresh, and dietitian approved More importantly, they are never frozen and ready to eat in just two minutes. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled up all day long. Try meals with premium ingredients like filet mignon, truffle butter, and shrimp. Restaurant-quality food that you do not have to prep, cook, or clean up. Delivered right to your doorstep. And if you need to change your deliveries, you can pause or reschedule whenever you like. Factor is your solution for fast and premium meals. Also, for the month of April, Factor is celebrating Earth Day all month long. Look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for our lowest carbon footprint meals. So, what are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash nickwright50 and use code nickwright50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code nickwright50 at factormeals.com slash nickwright50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next. Fuel up fast, eat better, and get back to what you love doing this spring with Factor. All right, welcome back in. Episode 143, What's Right with Nick Wright. So uh, Thursday, I landed in Kansas City for me and my wife's 10-year anniversary, and we were there all weekend. And by Saturday, people in the city were talking to me saying, oh, man, it's about to get real bad here. We have a Trayvon situation. And I was like, I, people were already talking about the city. And I'm like, what are you talking about? 
And they said, ah, you know, people would give me different details or whatever, but I, we now know exactly what happened. And what we're going to talk about here is not actually just about Ralph Yarl, the young man who was shot and miraculously is alive uh, in Kansas City, because there was yesterday now or day before yesterday, a similar tragedy in New York. And this is, well, just stay tuned for it. Uh, we're going to try to thread this needle. So if you don't know what happened in Kansas City, what happened in Kansas City is very simple. A young man, 16-year-old black kid named Ralph Yarl, was sent by his mom to go pick up his twin little brothers. He thought he was going to 115th Street. They were on 115th Terrace or vice versa. He pulls into the driveway, rings the doorbell, and this is not just his family story. This is now according to the Kansas City Police. And an 84-year-old white man comes to the door and within seconds shoots him twice. Once in the head. Through the door. Through the door. Glass door. Opens one door, sees him, has his gun, shoots him twice. Once in the head. Bullet fragments lodged above his eye. His mom said this morning to Gail King they were in his brain, but I'm. she said frontal lobe, but he's also home now. And she said it hit his frontal lobe. Frontal. And then he was shot again and in the shoulder. And then he was shot in the shoulder. Uh, amazingly, he survived. Now, his mom made it very clear he's home, but he has medical professionals all around. Yeah, he's she not, was like, the only reason he's home is because that the, the, the whole family nurse, doctors. The, they have families, other doctors, they wanted to get him home. But he is talking. He's talking, and President Biden called him. And so... This and then and then the reason there. So again, let me give the very short version of it. 16 year old kid is supposed to go to 1100 115th Terrace, goes to 1100 115th Street, rings the doorbell. 84 year old white man comes to the door, sees him, shoots him twice. He had the gun, though, before he even got to the door. Of course, because he knew. He, of, he... of course. And the kid lived. The man called the cops. Cops brought him in, questioned him, and said, all right, well, according to the KCPD, they claim we can't do anything until we get a victim statement. It's not my experience at all, but fine, and let him go. There then was massive community outrage before it became a national story. By Sunday, there were protests in front of the house. They then charged the man the 84-year-old with first-degree assault, armed criminal action. And however, what the national media at thus far has gotten wrong in this story is he has not been arrested. He has been charged. So either they, are, they can't find him or they are waiting for him to turn himself in. But as of this moment, this man who shot this 16-year-old child for ringing his doorbell, that's not fair. He shot this 16-year-old child for ringing his doorbell while being black. Has not been incarcerated. I don't know if he's on the run. I don't know if the cops just haven't managed Probably to... Probably can't run far. Right. If the cops just haven't managed to get over to him. But that's what's happened. But he has been charged. I assume he'll be found. And I assume he'll go to trial. Now... His defense is, I was scared. Okay? Go ahead, Dior. The question is, what is the reason to be scared when 
This well, kid, like he's 16 years old. He's younger than I am. Mm-hmm. And I've seen pictures. He's smaller than I am. And uh, oh, you, I don't know if that's that part. I'm not sure if that's true. I actually think he's I, I think he's a tall kid, but that doesn't matter at all. No, uh, but I'm saying he he doesn't even look like a threat whatsoever. And the only reason he even slightly looks like a threat is because he's a black boy. Obviously. I mean, I mean, I don't mean that patronizing to you. I'm saying that clearly. And the only reason this man was not instantly arrested is because he was an old white man who shot a young black boy. He didn't know what he was doing. He didn't. And the, the I, if you want to say this is more about his age than his race, maybe my experience with certain parts of the Kansas City Police Department lead me to feel differently. But set that aside. He got preferential treatment due to the fact of the demographics of who he was and the demographics of who was shot. We know that. We know that. And we also know, let me, I want to be totally accurate here. I feel very confident that if every part of this story is the same, but that is a white 16-year-old who rings his doorbell, he does not shoot him in the head and then in the shoulder before asking a question. You can say, Nick, you can't prove it. I can't prove it. I know it. That one is very black and white, no pun intended. It's clear what happened there. And anybody that wants to, that is listening to this right now and feels like anything I've said is controversial, I, if, if, if anything that I've said up to this point makes you angry enough to where you want to turn off the podcast, I would appreciate if you do exactly that and never turn it back. Because now we have something that happened in upstate New York that removes the racial part of it and is somehow just as, actually, in this case, you could already, I don't want to say more tragic, but a different type of tragic, this girl lost her life. So in upstate New York, Caitlin Gillis, who's 20 years old, was in a rural on a rural road with friends of hers looking for another friend's house. From the news reports there, the rural area they were in are those long driveways where you have to basically go deep into the drive driveway before you get to the house. They drive their car down the driveway and nobody even gets out. They see, oh, we're at the wrong house. Start to turn around. The 65-year-old homeowner comes out and shoots twice into the car. No one has gotten out of the car. Shoots twice into the car. This young girl's dead. Dead. She was the driver? No, she was in the passenger seat, is at least what the reports were. Because they then drove six miles up the road. They're in the the middle of nowhere. They they had to drive far away to get help. They couldn't even call 911 for six miles because they had no No phone service. service. Cops went to him. There was a standoff. They arrested him immediately. Um, you also had just recently it, and go ahead Dior. and in like half of these cases it's not even the problem is the race or the other person it's the guns that's the problem well it's one other problem how scared everyone is when they should not be, which is what I'm going to try to tie this all together with. The guns, obviously, without the guns, this doesn't happen. 
But not only is that horse out of the barn, that horse has left the barn, had 300 million baby horses, and they're all across the country. We got more guns than people. We are just fucked on that front. No fixing. None. Now, we could do certain things to prevent mass shootings, an assault rifles ban, which is such a crazy liberal idea. Ronald Reagan and George W. Bush were in favor of it back in a saner time of America. Back, you know, the, we, there's certain things we could do for mass shootings, but the individual handgun ain't going anywhere. Anywhere. So we have the most armed society ever, and everyone's afraid. More on the fear in a moment. Last week, Walgreens, Tennessee, the woman who is seven months pregnant, that means very visibly pregnant, with a friend allegedly shoplifting. She and the friend leave the store, start putting, again, allegedly, what they stole into the trunk. The 21-year-old manager follows them out and confronts them. One of them maces him. He shoots the pregnant woman multiple times. Was the pregnant woman even the one who maced him? I'm not sure. Here's what I do know. A lot of people hear that story and say, I, I got no problem with that. You were stealing and you, you maced a guy. One, the, one thing that's not the manager's responsibility whatsoever. Yeah. And the other thing is this. You're not even the, allowed to follow shoplifters out of the store. Of course. And if you follow a shoplifter out of the store while carrying a pistol, do. my guess is you're doing it because you might want to shoot somebody. And here's the other thing. For the folks that are on the, he was, she was committing a crime. So anything that happens is fair game. The penalty for shoplifting in this country is not death. Being shot in the street. The penalty, by the way, for macing somebody when they confront you with, is not being shot and, in the street. And also, I'm sure the other person, I, I can't be sure, but I'm pretty sure the person wouldn't have maced the manager if they didn't see the person had a gun. Well, it, of course. But that guy, much like Andrew Lest in Kansas City who shot Carl or Ralph Yarl saying, stand your ground, stand your ground. So now we go to Texas and I promise I'm going to wrap all these together. We go to Texas, Daniel Perry, a few months back, sees these black lives matter protesters and hates them. Goes on Facebook, calls them monkeys, Texas friends saying, I might kill a protester on my way to work today. Text another friend, says, I'm going to drive my car right into these protesters. Gets in his car, drives to, pro drives to where the protests are. There is a man in the protest carrying an AK-47. Now, I think that is insane. insane. But in Texas, totally legal. Allowed. Most things are. Daniel Perry. After telling his friends, I'm going to kill a protester and calling the protesters monkeys, initiates a confrontation with this protester, shoots and kills him. 
with found- his gun or the AK-47? With his own gun, with the gun he brought Got it. in order to commit this premeditated murder. A jury of his peers heard that case and said, yeah, you're guilty. You're going to jail. Within six hours of that, the governor of Texas said, as soon as I can, I'm pardoning him. He committed no crime. He was standing his ground. What ground was he standing? Well, that brings us to another issue. And I know we have a lot of issues in the air now, but one other story. A couple weeks back, San Francisco, the founder of Cash App, is tragically stabbed in San Francisco. The media universally uses it as an instance to discuss the out-of-control crime in San Francisco. Dangerous, liberal hellscape. A lot of poor people, a lot of homeless people. To where now, millionaire tech founders can't walk down the street without being brutally stabbed problem with that story is three days later we found out he was stabbed to death by an allegedly by another tech executive in a dispute about one of their sisters so why do i bring that story because we now have created the perfect storm for these instances of violence So the first ingredient is the guns. As armed as you, as any society has ever been. The second ingredient is the fear. New York City, San Francisco, two of the safest big cities in the world. But we got a lot of poor people, got a lot of minorities. Got a lot of San Francisco in particular, drug people that are strung out on drugs. Danger, fear, be afraid. You don't know what's happening. You don't know. I, I know the, and people right now are listening saying, Nick, crime's out of control. Is crime in a lot of big cities up over the last couple of years? Yes. Is it's crime in almost every big city in the country down 30? 40, 70% over where it was in the 80s and 90s? Yes, of course, but that doesn't matter. Be be afraid, be on edge, be armed. That's the second ingredient. Everyone's thing is always, if if you weren't armed, that's on you. Correct. And third ingredient, a shocking dedication by lawmakers across the country into trying to reinvent the Old West with these standard ground laws, which have moved us to a place of, if at any time I feel any amount of fear, I can respond with deadly force. Don't have to be a cop. Don't have to really be in danger. And in fact, as the Texas case can show you, I can start the confrontation, which 
if you take these to their furthest logical conclusion, gives you the authority to murder anyone. If I want to murder you, all I have to do is bring my gun and bait you into hitting me. All I have to do is go to where you are, spit in your face, call you a name, shove you, and then let you get the best of me in the beginning of a fight. And be white. And be white. Of course and be white. Of course and be white. Because that's the last ingredient I was going to bring in. But all I got to do, if what the guy, Daniel Perry in Texas, if he were to be pardoned, he told his friends, I'm going to go kill some people. He went to where they were. They have so he much started the, Which is why he was convicted. He started the confrontation. And then immediately shot. This old white man in Kansas City. There was no confrontation. But he's, ter- he's scared because he's a black kid. Shoots through the door. The old white man in upstate New York. Doesn't even see who's in the car. But he's scared. You're on my property. It's goddamn Yellowstone evidently out here. And I'm going to shoot you. You brought up the Andy White part of it. Of course, in all, in some, but not all of these, there is, and this is where, again, I'll bring the media's culpability into it. The media preaching fear of the other. So people are on edge. They're misled about crime rates. They have all these guns and they have reason to believe some people don't shoot people because they don't want to. Some people don't shoot people because they're afraid of the consequences. But now we remove some of those consequences. All you got to do is say you're afraid. And all of a sudden, someone rings your doorbell, fuck you. Someone comes into your driveway, shoot you from 20 meters out. Someone steals from a multi-billion dollar corporation, a visibly pregnant woman. I'm going out there carrying my pistol. This is the moment I've been waiting for. None of us can be surprised where we're at. None of us. And, God dog it, I probably irrationally yelled at my daughter this week. Because all of this affects us all. And it all of us, all of it drags us down and, and, and puts us more on edge and, and affects our quality of life in so many different ways. And the reason I, I yelled at Diora ostensibly for being late to work and having a dead phone. But the real reason I was yelling at her was because when her phone dies, I can't see her. It doesn't show me her location. And I knew she was traveling through the city. And just seeing that I'm in Kansas City, she's in New York, and last location was 40 minutes ago outside of Morningside Park. And it's goddamn terrifying. And is it heightened because you're a black woman? Yes. But would I be scared no matter what? That Caitlin Gillis girl was with her friends going to a friend's house. The homeowner shot her. Killed her. Ralph Yarl was a, I think, I don't know if it was clarinet, 
was some insects, whatever instrument he played, a great musician from seemingly an amazing family, just listening to his mom, his mom, Ralph Yarl's mom, Ralph Yarl was shot twice, is, would talk to the president yesterday, is a seemingly perfect student. He's asked by Gail King this morning about her, she's at, she's asked about her son. And she's basically like, aside from the fact that he stinks at English, he's, he's a great kid. Like she was such a lovely mother daughter moment. You could just tell the type of mom she was. She was like, we just argue about English. He doesn't like doing his English homework. It's like lady, this is not what we're talking about here. He was going to go pick up his twin siblings and got shot. And I know that, you know, we're, we're really, really concerned right now about protecting kids. We are, we are grooming has become the biggest threat in the world. Uh, Drag queens, big threat. The number one cause of death of children in this country for the first time ever is not cancer, is not heart disease, is not car accidents. It's guns of children. The number one cause of death is guns. And so, yeah, what happened in my hometown, of course, race is wrapped in every bit of it. But the easy off-ramp of that story is old racist man shoots young black boy. Police force in the beginning seemingly might let him get away with it. Community outrage now charged, hopefully soon arrested. But pretending that story is not related to all these other stories and the way the media gets us scared and the way the politicians exploit it and the way we allow the worst actors amongst us to act with impunity, that misses it. And it's goddamn frustrating, man. And it's scary. Hug your family tight. Tell them you love them. And if you're a law-abiding, Second Amendment-loving gun owner, I I, I don't I I have no quarrel with you. None. But if you are someone who is so scared. Walking down the street, you can't do it without a pistol. Do yourself a favor. Go to your local bar this weekend. Have a few drinks. Make sure no one's armed. And talk a little trash to one of the bigger guys in there. And get punched in the face. And realize, not the worst thing that's ever happened. Getting your ass kicked, not that bad. Sucks. Usually feel better by the next day. But if you're so god dog afraid that someone might hit you, that someone's coming to kick your door in, that someone who hasn't yet gotten out of their car 
on your rural driveway if you're so afraid that you shoot first, answer questions later, and believe the state's going to be on your side because of these perverse stand-your-ground rules, then deal with your own issues. Get some goddog courage and put your gun away. Talk to y'all Thursday. What's up?